Let's pray, and then we'll jump into the sermon. Father, Lord, we exalt your name. We glorify you. God, we thank you for the community that you have brought together here. Lord, how good it is to just open your word together and to just grow together in you, Jesus. So as we open your word today, would your spirit speak? Would you minister to us, Lord? Make us more into the image of Christ this Advent season, Lord. That's our prayer, is that we would know you more, we'd appreciate you more. Lord, that Christmas would be a time of deep meaning, okay? Not just a time to gather um, all the other good things around Christmas, but Lord, it would be a time of theological meaning that's centered on you, Jesus, and your Advent, your appearing, that we would rejoice. In your name, Lord, we pray. Amen. Okay, our campaign, our Advent campaign it's called The Life Revealed. And by the way, I'm going to say Advent here and there and introduce the sermons by saying Advent. Advent just means appeared. So it's the first time that Jesus appeared, or I actually like the word revealed better, and I will explain why in the sermon today. But Advent, it refers to the appearing of Christ, the incarnation of Christ, that Jesus, God, the second person of the Trinity, took on human form. And so what we're going to do in this campaign is really just camp out in 1 John 1, 1 through 4. Those are going to be our primary verses through the whole month. Um, Because these these verses have just captured my imagination, my attention over the last couple of years, and I hope that they do yours as well. So we're just going to read this kind of over and over again and just cement it in your heart, the, the words of 1 John 1, 1 through 4. And my prayer for us is that as I prayed, <laughs> Advent would mean more, okay? There's so much good around this season of giving, generosity, of just time with people, right? We share uh, presence with one another, and we enjoy one another's presence and time together. Uh, we have time off of work usually, which is pretty great, for, unless you're in the hospitality industry. Sorry about that. Um, <laughs> sorry to remind you. Um, <laughs> but there's so much good around it. But what I, what I hope that this Christmas season, as in every Christmas season, as we revisit the incarnation, it would mean more. That the theology of the incarnation would deepen in your heart, your mind, and in your soul. That it wouldn't just be a time of celebration of those peripheral things, but you'd deeply appreciate Christ more. What it means that Jesus appeared, that Jesus was revealed, and that so we can sing joy to the world. We can have hope. We can have faith. All of these deep things that we need in our human experience, Jesus satisfies. And it's because he came. He was revealed. And he appeared. So what we're going to do is just read 1 John 1, 1 through 4. Let's start with that. And I'm reading out of the Holman Christian Standard Bible, and I'll explain why as we we go through it. What was from the beginning? This is how John begins his first epistle. What was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have observed and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life, that life was revealed. See, I'm not very creative with my campaign title. I just took it right from John. Uh, That life was revealed, and we have seen it, and we testify and declare to you the eternal life that was with the Father and was revealed to us. What we have seen and heard, we also declare to you, so that you may have fellowship along with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, 
Jesus Christ. We are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Okay, so we, I realize the problem, <laughs> part of the problem with this is I've been reading this over and over again for weeks now, and you guys are like, this is the first time I've read it in a long time, <laughs> or maybe the first time ever, right? So what we're going to do is we're going to work through this slowly, okay, week by week. Uh, and today, what we're going to do is just focus on the main idea of this passage. Okay, so if you're like, John, you're leaving a good chunk of the, what we just read out. I know. We're going to get to it throughout the month, okay? So each week, we're going to take just a section of this, or a theme, an idea of this. The last two weeks, we'll talk, focus on the application of these final two verses, Okay, but we're just going to take one section at a time and just work our way through this. And I hope to just open up the beauty of this. Okay, so when the Reformers say that God's Word, just, you just have to read it to see that it's inspired by God, I, I hope that this becomes true for you. That as we open this up and as we read it and meditate on these few simple verses, that God's Word would just come alive and it would minister to your heart and your soul this Christmas season. Because God's Word is powerful. It's active. Okay, the big idea of this section of this, these few verses is found in verse 2, when John says, that life, or the life, was revealed. The life was revealed. John loves to use these images of life, light, love. Like he uses a lot of word pictures to communicate very simple themes, but profound themes, deep themes in our human experience. And I love how John writes. Some of you, it may not be your cup of tea. You may be more familiar or prefer Paul's style of writing, where it's just logical, sequential, in order, if, then, this, that, and it just builds logically. John, he just has a couple of big ideas that he wants to get across, and he just keeps revolving around them in different ways at different times. It's just like, hey, guys, here's the main ideas of the Christian faith. Get these. Like, we can get sidetracked with a lot of deep theological questions and conversations and interpretations. John's like, just love each other. <laughs> like, if you want to know what it looks like to live the Christian life, Jesus is truth. God is light. There is holiness in Christ. He has given us his righteousness. Love one another. He's like, the Christian life, the truth of the gospel, it's not complicated, theoretically. It's impossible practically to live out. So let's keep these basics and let's focus on these and really live for Jesus in the basics of the faith. I think John's message and John's way of writing is a, a major need in our Western church culture, where we have so much knowledge, so much education, so many things that we can dive into theologically and dig deep in, which is great, not at the expense of these. Not at the expense of love. God is love. And John's primary message here is like, God's love, God's light, love one another in the truth. And you have the holiness of Christ. Like that's, that's what he's saying. Because the church had already lost sight of this message in the first century. And we tend to lose sight of it so much today. So appreciate the simplicity is what I'm trying to say. Okay, this isn't... John's not going to wow you with like, whoa, I never knew that, right? But that's okay. <laughs> we should be wowed with, wow, it's so simple, and I'm really not good at it. God, help me. <laughs> I need you to help me do the basics of the faith better. Because it's all through the power of God 
in the Holy Spirit that we can do these. Okay, so this is the reason that I'm reading out of the Holman Christian uh, Standard Bible, was this translation. So it translates it, the life was revealed. That life was revealed. And again, it's building off of the idea from verse 1 that Jesus is the word of life, or the incarnate Christ in the Gospels, the word of life, which we're going to see in a minute. I prefer that term revealed, because the uh, NIV, it uses the term appeared, which is fine, but I think that tends to carry a connotation to some of us of that it like came into existence, like it wasn't in existence, and then it appeared, and it became real. That's not what John's saying, right? Or that something was visible quickly, and then it was gone, Okay. And I don't think that's the idea that John's getting at here. Appeared, though, is fine. We sing about it in O Holy Night, right? Till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. I won't hurt your ears by singing it myself. Uh, There's good reason that Tom sets the volume where he does back there so that you all can't hear me singing. Okay, so the NIV says appeared. That's fine. It's good. But I think it connotes some ideas that I don't love. Revealed has a better, I think, connotation to it. The ESV says made manifest, which is more the idea of what this Greek word is getting at, but nobody uses the term made manifest, right? (laughs) You know, I was planning on saying that, and then last night I was uh, with a group of people, and I heard it twice. So I'm like, man, well, that idea is out the window. Maybe the uh, translators of the ESV knew what they were doing. (laughs) When was that? Have you used manifest in the last week or two? Anybody? No? Okay. All right. So my hunch is right, generally, that nobody really uses that term. But we do get the term revealed or revelation. So what this is getting at, uh, this term revealed, is in the Old Testament, we see a dim revelation of the gospel, right? It was often misconstrued by the Jewish people into legalism. In Jesus, however, the redemption of God, God's plan, becomes revealed in full. I think of it like this, like when you're driving at night, which it's dark at like 4.30 now, so we all experience this. When you're driving at night on a dark country road and there's a car coming at you and they have their brights on, right? When they're really far away, like, yeah, you can see it. It's dim. Like, you can maybe even tell that their brights are on, but you're like, it's bearable. But then when they get close to you and their brights are on, it's like, oh my gosh, I can't see anything, right? Like, you're totally blinded. Okay, so that's the image. In the Old Testament, you see it like a car far away, like it's a light, a dim light of the gospel. It was promised. God had made his promises. You see glimpses of it, of the goodness of God bringing this to fruition through the people of Israel. But then in Jesus, it's like the brights are on right in front of your face. (laughs) Like, how can you miss it? He's right there. He did all the miracles that he did. He raised people from the dead. Right? He healed people. He spoke truth. Ultimately, he rose from the dead. Like light, boom, right in your face. The life was revealed in Christ. Okay, so that's that term revealed. Now, let's get at what he means by life there. Okay, so if we go back a couple of verses here to verse 1, all right, nerd out with me for a second. This is really important, but you got to nerd out with me, all right? Sorry. This is going to bring back some horror uh, experiences from grammar school. But we're going to do it anyways. Let's go. Okay, so John writes, what was from the beginning? We don't see this super clearly 
Um, but what he means here is, actually, uh, Tom, can you bring me that other iPad? This thing's going to die. Um, the, word <laughs> the word what there is in the neuter form, okay? So you have masculine, you have feminine, and you have neuter. So it's in the neuter form. So that means that he isn't solely referring to the incarnate Christ. Okay, so if he was solely referring to the incarnate Christ, that word would have to be in uh, the masculine. Let's see if this works. Oh, come on. Do I have to go out of it first with this one? Do work, work, yes. Okay, thanks, Tom. Okay. <laughs> Let's hear it for Tom, crushing it. <laughs> All right, back to my nerdy grammar point. Okay. You're like, no, we hope he was distracted. Okay, so what is in the neuter form? So what was from the beginning, he says. So John can't be referring to the incarnate Christ because it would have to be in the masculine if that were the case. He's not referring to the word either because then it would have to be in the feminine. So what does John mean when he's talking about the life? What is his reference here for the word what? Again. So that's the question that we have to be asking as we come to this. And I think the best explanation for it is the gospel. So John doesn't use the term gospel, the Greek word eongelion, but it is a neuter word. And so I think what John is referring to here is the full gospel of God, the redemptive plan of salvation that is centered on the person, the life, the death, the teaching, the resurrection of Jesus. He's referring to it all as one. And next week, we'll talk more about why that is and what John is doing with that and why he's kind of, he's shifted from the way he introduces his gospel. So in John 1, which we're going to read in a second, he uses the masculine form, he, right? Because he's referring just to Jesus and the gospel is the revelation of him. So what John has in mind is the big, we use the gospel in a few different ways. Uh, the gospel can refer to like the story of Jesus as in the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But we can also refer to the Gospel as the big picture story of God's plan of redemption. Okay, so that's how John's using it here. And it was from the beginning, John says, that this plan of redemption God had from the beginning with Jesus. Jesus is eternal, co-eternal with the Father and the Holy Spirit. He has always existed. There was never a time when he was not, which is what John is emphasizing here in this term from the beginning, that Jesus, the pre-incarnate Christ, the second person of the Trinity, has always been, and this plan of redemption has always been. So from the beginning of time, the gospel was God's plan to redeem his people. That's a thought for you. That's a thought. So again, at Christmas, the birth of Jesus, Jesus, it's not as if he once was not, and then all of a sudden he was. No, it's just that the second person of the Trinity was revealed in full. He didn't just appear as in he wasn't existent before and then he was. He's revealed for who he really is. This plan of redemption, it's not that God didn't have it before. It's that in Jesus, in the gospel, it's seen. It's fully revealed for God's plan of redemption. That's why I prefer that term. Revealed. The gospel, it didn't just begin at the incarnation. This was from the beginning. God had this plan. So, I got ahead of myself a little bit. It says, from the beginning. So again, let's just read John 1, John's beginning 
opening of his gospel, which is very similar. The wording is so similar. So again, this gives evidence that the Apostle John wrote both the gospel and the epistle of 1 John, and he's trying to communicate a similar idea here. In the beginning, he says, was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. We went through John's gospel a few years ago uh, to talk about the incarnation of Christ, so I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it now. But John loves to refer to Jesus as the Word, which is God's full self-disclosure, his revelation of who he really is. And the Word is powerful. From Genesis 1, it's the agent of creation. He's, talk- he's hearkening back. He's like, hey, guys, remember, Genesis 1-1 begins with, in the beginning, God, right? So <laughs> that was creation. What's happening now in Jesus is on the same level or even greater of new creation, that God created everything with his word. Now Jesus is recreating everything in him. He was with God in the beginning, John says. All things were created through him, and apart from him, not one thing was created that has been created. So again, he's using the the masculine pronouns here. So he's referring to the incarnate Christ. But in 1 John, he's referring to more than the incarnate Christ and the whole theological meaning of the incarnate Christ. Life was in him. So we see these same ideas in John's gospel and in his first epistle. Life, the word, pre-incarnate Christ. Life was in him, and that life was the light of men. Okay, so again, we're describing what the life means in John's opening here. And so we went back to see what he was referring to in John 1.1. Similar ideas there. But there's also these few cues in the first few verses here that help us to see what John's referring to by the life. So we looked at what was from the beginning, right? That it's not just the incarnate Christ, but it's the theological meaning of the incarnate Christ and the gospel message that John has in view. And then he says, concerning the word of life, the Middle part we'll talk about next week, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have observed and have touched with our hands. That'll be our theme for next week. Concerning the word of life. I already described for you what the word means and how John uses it. It's the, the revelation of God, the self-disclosure of God in Jesus. And that's why it's John's, one of John's favorite words. It was a common word used in, in Greek culture in the day. I'm getting, I'm getting in too deep. Sorry. Okay. <laughs> but what John's doing is he's, he's like appealing to his Greek readers who love logic and reason, and he's, he's appealing to them, but he's like defining it in Christ is what he's doing here. And he's saying that it's, that's not the referent, is your Greek ideas. It's the Old Testament. It's God speaking and things coming into existence. It's the word of God the agent of creation. It's powerful. It's God's self-revelation of who he is. Ugh. Yeah, okay. All right, so we're getting at what we mean by the life still. Verse 2, that life was revealed, and we have seen it, and we testify and declare to you. Okay, again, John keeps revolving around those ideas, right, that we've seen it, we've touched it. We'll talk about that next week. The eternal life. That was with the Father. So we're letting John define what he means by the life, okay? It's the eternal life that was with the Father. The word of life, the eternal life 
that was with the Father. The life that is in Jesus in the gospel is eternal life. It's referring to this spiritual life that we have in him that doesn't just remain spiritual, it actually affects the physical, right? And that we physically have eternal life, that our bodies will be made new, and that we have this life eternal because Jesus was revealed. We can have fullness of life. We can have eternal spiritual life that affects our physical life because of the revelation of the gospel centered in Christ. Yeah, I'll apply all that later. All right. So, here is our big idea. In the gospel of Jesus, the life was revealed. Okay, so we got to keep this in mind. On, actually, <laughs> as I, when I first picked this text, um, and I hadn't done the study that I had for it, I, I was thinking like perfect Christmas text, the incarnation, and then I started studying, and I'm like, oh man, it's bigger. It's bigger than just like the incarnation is referring to the whole gospel. All right, so in the gospel of Jesus, the life was revealed. So again, why I'm preaching on this now is I just, my prayer for you is that you would just deeply appreciate the incarnation. And not just the incarnation, but the theological meaning of the incarnation. That Jesus is the life. That the gospel that Jesus taught, the crucifixion of Jesus, what it means that he died and rose from the dead, that his way of life as he taught is the life. It is not a life, but it is the life. It is the life eternal. And we can have this eternal life, fullness of life, when our faith and our trust is in Jesus and in the gospel of Jesus. Next week, we'll talk about why we have to have the proper theological understanding. And that's why John is doing this. That's why John makes these terms neuter, right? The gospel, the proper theological understanding of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, that you have to believe that. But when we do believe that, we have life. From Ephesians chapter 2, spiritually we know that we were all dead in our trespasses and sins. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, he what? Made us alive together with Christ. So before Christ, before believing in the gospel of Jesus, we were dead. But now we have life. And this life isn't just for now. This life is eternal. It has great implications for now, but it has implications for eternity as well. So we can live in it now. So this gospel of Jesus is the life which means there is no other life. <laughs> there is no other eternal life. It is exclusive in Christ. Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. Again, you see John's themes at work throughout his gospel, through his epistle in the same way. Just honing in on these ideas to live life, eternal life, the true life, the fullness of life. It's only found in Jesus. 
Yet we, in our sinful nature, as Christians even, we constantly pursue life in other things. In something, someone else other than Jesus and the gospel. And when we do this, the results are tragic. They harm ourselves. They harm the people around us that we love. And we see these effects happening all around us. Our inner life is chaotic. We call this idolatry. <laughs> and we all do it. We look for life most predominantly in ourselves. We try to satisfy our own desires, get what we want, choosing our own definitions of success and pursuing those. Christmas is a time where we see this come out as well. I don't feel satisfied at Christmas. Right? It could be a lot of good reasons for that lack of satisfaction. But we have to really examine our heart and say, is it because I'm just pursuing self-actualization in myself? And I'm not looking for my life in Christ. It's ironic, right, how we tend to twist these things that are so good and make them about ourselves. And we're really good at it. And when we make Christ our life, the gospel of Christ our life, and not ourselves, we can live a life of deep satisfaction in him. It's totally counterintuitive, and you're really going to have to trust this to be true, because Jesus said, the one who loses his life for me will find it. Doesn't make a lot of sense, does it? Except for the centuries of Christians, the number of Christians sitting around you now who would say, this is true. I've experienced it. And I know that losing myself and finding my life in Jesus is the fullness of life. It is the best way to be human. It is the best life to live. Focusing on myself less. Focusing on God more. Loving him, worshiping him, giving glory to him and not myself. Loving others, giving, generosity, blessing, is the path to life. And this life is not only revealed in Jesus, but it is sourced in Jesus as well. And so... If you don't know that Jesus is the life, if you've never put your faith, your trust in Jesus as not a life, Jesus is the only life. He's the only way to have eternal life. And what John is doing in this text and throughout the gospel, or throughout his epistle, is calling us to root ourselves in the gospel. God's redemptive story, that that is the way to eternal life. It may not seem like it from our physical, natural perspectives, but it's true in Christ. And so, as we're approaching Advent season and all the warm and fuzzies of Christmas, <laughs> John is calling us to the theological meaning of Jesus being revealed in the gospel 
to put our faith in him, to root our life in him, not in ourselves, not in pleasing other people, not in acquiring more stuff and consumerism, but in Christ and in him alone. And in this gospel story, the truth, the theology around Jesus, to root ourselves in him, to live, as Scott McKnight calls, the cruciform life, laying down our life for him. So now, this is, this is a big truth. It's lofty, I know, I get it. It's not the, it's not the simple, hey guys, here's three steps to better manage your schedule this busy Christmas season. All right. I'm, I'm, oh, okay. I'm going to get myself in trouble if I start saying those things, but I won't, okay? I'm not a fan. I'm not a fan of those, uh, <laughs> as you probably know full well. Because I think what John and the, the apostles, the New Testament authors, what they know is if we do this, those things will come. Do you ever wonder, reading through the Gospels, reading through the, the epistles, the New Testament, you ever wonder why there isn't a megachurch sermon in there about three steps to make your marriage better? <laughs> because they know that this is what we really need. That those things, they're, they're practical, they're fine, they're good. But deep down, if you make Jesus your life, your marriage will be affected. Your work will be affected. Your entire life will be affected. If you are finding your source of life in the revealed word, the life, your whole life will be changed. <laughs> and if we just give a bunch of like three things to do, Actually, what that ends up being is more law. Because you start holding yourself to these standards that you can't live up to. And that's like the antithesis of the gospel, right? So the gospel writers, the apostles, they keep pointing us to this. Jesus is your life. Just abide in him. Just love him. Cherish him. Worship him. The life was revealed in him. And those things will change. Your entire life will be different. So this is a deeper application. Because if the life is revealed and we really believe that, we will have trust. The biblical word is often translated faith. Trust, faith is, is the same idea, but I think trust gets at, faith is just, I think, overused. We have to trust that in the gospel our sin has been removed so that you no longer live for evil, but now you live for righteousness. And your righteousness isn't in your own actions, but it's in Jesus. That his righteousness has been imputed to you because he has died on the cross and risen from the dead. And so when our faith, when our trust is in him, he gives us his righteousness. You have to trust that. You have to believe that. And we can live as people who trust when we do that in spite of the guilt, the shame of our sin constantly creeping up again and again. We can say, no, my righteousness is in Christ. So I don't have to live in guilt anymore. This is what it looks like to live a life of trust in the life that was revealed, that my life is fully in Jesus. And so this is an eternal life, that God has redeemed me from my sin and brought me into his family. And so my sin, <laughs> Satan, demons, be gone. Stop accusing me. Jesus has given me his righteousness. And we can rest on that. 
because the life was revealed in Jesus. And you don't have to strive to constantly wonder if you've done enough good to be made right with God. You can have peace with God because your righteousness is in Christ. And you have to trust that. Because our natural tendency is to constantly go back to law, to self-righteousness, to I can do it. I just need to be better when we can rest in Jesus. That he has given us his righteousness. We can live a life of trust. And that trust leads to peace with God. And also we can trust God fully. (laughs) Remember that this was God's plan from the beginning to bring the gospel. This was his plan of redemption from the beginning. He's revealed it in full in Jesus that we're celebrating in the Christmas story. We even see this in the Christmas story, in Zechariah's prophecy about his son, John the Baptist, that he will come and prepare the way for the Lord. He says, because of the tender mercy of our God, by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness in the shadow of death. That the incarnation is like the sun rising on those who are living in darkness and in the shadow of death. And this, he will guide our feet into the path of peace, he says. So we can have peace with God and live a life of trust. Security as a child of God. Knowing that we are loved by him, not because of our successes. Knowing that our love isn't contingent upon our failures. But he has just accepted us and brought us into his family when we believe in him. The people of Israel, they waited for centuries, for thousands of years, for God to make good on his promise of bringing the Messiah. And God did in Jesus. And so we can trust then that regardless of the circumstances globally, of the wars in Ukraine, the war in Israel, when we watch the news and fear and anxiety and worry and doubt sets in, we can say, nope, God is on the throne. We can trust in him that the God who promised in Genesis chapter 3 that he would crush the head of the serpent did so thousands of years later in Jesus and in the gospel. Why are we afraid, Christians? Look at what God has done in history. Fear not. We can trust him. That what he says is good, if he says he's going to prepare a place for us and he's going to come back and take us with him so that we might be with him where he is, believe it. Trust it. What can man do to me? My life is in Christ. My life is in the gospel of Jesus. And I am free. I am free to live a life of trust a non-anxious presence in a chaotic world because I have peace with God. I have eternal life that was from the beginning. If we really believe in the life that was revealed in the gospel, we can have hope. Band, why don't you guys come and get set up here? This life is eternal. We don't have to be afraid. We can live a life of trust. Our destiny is secure because the life was revealed in Jesus. (laughs) And so when we sing joy to the world, (laughs) hope produces joy. We can live a life of joy 
Again, in spite of our external circumstances, because Jesus bodily rose from the dead, and this gives us hope of the restoration of all creation. And just like our faith, as we're going to talk about next week, is not some just (laughs) long shot that in spite of all the evidence, I'm still going to have faith. No, Jesus really physically came. Jesus physically rose from the dead. So this is based on good truth and good evidence, experiential evidence. So is our hope. Jesus rose from the dead, proving that there is life eternal in him, that he is indeed the life revealed. And so we can have joy, Christians. We can live a life of non-anxious presence and faith, and we can live lives of joy. That's beautiful. The world's clamoring after that, but doesn't know where to find it because the life is in Jesus. The life is revealed in him. So Christians, this Christmas season, let's not get involved in the rat race and live a life of peace. Live a life of faith and trust and peace in the presence of God that he is with us, that our life is in him. Source our life in him and in nothing else and in no one else. Why would we? Jesus is so much better. Live a life of faith and trust and a life of hope and joy because your life is in Christ and in his gospel. Jesus, you are so great, Lord. There is nobody like you. We just celebrate that you were revealed on Christmas, that your gospel was revealed in the Christmas story. And so we can live a life of peace with you. We can trust you. We can live a non-anxious presence. Lord, you give us your joy. Lord, what blessings that we can have this in you, Christ. And so, Lord, we want to source our life in you. We just confess and declare that you are the life revealed. And we thank you, God, for your plan of redemption that you have brought in Christ. We thank you for Jesus. And we just want to worship you now the bottom of our heart, with everything that we are, for you are worthy and you have given us your life. We were dead, but we are alive now. And so we celebrate. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Let's stand and let's sing praises to our Savior.